Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Ben Simmons has showed up and he has arrived to Philadelphia. I think he decided to come back, obviously, because of the, the financial situation. A lot of money was at stake. They're in a situation where it will be awkward. It, it will be must-see TV. Uh, if you're a fan of basketball or just a fan of you know things that could potentially go wrong or go right, you will be interested in, in tuning in and watching. But I think ultimately, he's such a, a talented player. I think he automatically makes them a better team. The Nets have stated that Kyrie won't play or practice until he's fully vaccinated. The Nets have basically said that they don't want any part-time players and that until he's able to fully participate with the team, that he would not be welcome. It is a personal choice for Kyrie, but it's a personal choice that's affecting the entire team. Pelicans head coach Willie Green confirmed that Zion has not yet started running and they are waiting for him to get some scans. I think he's going to be out for a while. You have to take it slow, obviously, with a foot injury on your star player. I think this definitely hurts the, the Pelicans, obviously, and it hurts their chances of making the playoffs because he's a key fixture and key component of their team. Welcome to the 123rd episode of Pull Up, that's right, 123 episodes it is currently Thursday, October 14th, and on this date, October 15th, which which when the podcast will be released, in 1966, Bill Russell became the NBA's first black head coach when he was designated as player coach for the Boston Celtics. Let's think about that for a second. Bill Russell was so cold that they allowed him to be a player and a coach. That kind of shows you the type of legacy that he's been able to leave on and off the court. And it's just cool to kind of see how we've progressed as an association, but yet how far we still have to go. I am currently in the Bay getting ready to play the Warriors for our last preseason game. Um, Friday, actually. We play our last preseason game on, on Friday. And then we get ready for the Sacramento Kings on opening night on the 20th. But yesterday... Besides us losing to the Suns, we were able to see a WNBA Finals game. The first of my career, the first I've ever been a part of besides watching on TV. And I think my second or third time ever going to a WNBA game. It was a really, really cool experience. The NBA actually moved up our game to 2 p.m. so that the uh, Phoenix Mercury could uh, play at home and have home court and it worked out well for us because we were able to speak to our team and kind of figure out who wanted to go to the game everybody was in favor and uh, our entire staff and traveling party attended the game we had a couple suites and we had court side seats for players um, some ex-WNBA players and ex-WNBA coaches that are now on our staff so it was just really really cool to see the pace of the game how physical it is how 
great they are as players uh, from a communication standpoint. They're talking, they're moving. The jump shots are all very, very consistent. The footwork, everything was just cool to see. And as an NBA player, you, you play in arenas all the time, but you're never, never really able to kind of roam around arenas, you know, see the restaurants, see you know, the behind the scenes that kind of what goes into the production. You're just always a part of the production. So it was cool to, to be able to hang out with my teammates, to be able to hang out with CP, some of the sons, and be able to kind of walk behind the scenes, see the suites, see everything that kind of goes into a game that you're not normally exposed to. Now for the game, the game was super dope. Uh, obviously, you had a bunch of Hall of Famers out there. Um, you had Skylar Diggins-Smith, who played great, who basically sealed the game, hit big shots. I think she had 12 assists. Um, a Phoenix Mercury um, franchise record. She was great. The GOAT. We all know about Diana Taurasi and, and how great she's been to not only you know the W, but the game of basketball in general, arguably one of the greatest players ever. Um, probably the greatest uh, female basketball player to ever play. She hit big shot after big shot. I think she scored 18 points in the second half in overtime. Um, and BG, who's another Hall of Famer, was just terrific, super, super efficient, you know, rebounded, blocked shots, finished around the basket, showed poise, showed skills, got a dunk in too, she got, <laughs> which, was, which was really cool. And then, you know, on the Chicago team, you had an, a, Another trio of great players who are probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. Candace is a lot. Candace Parker, you know, shout out to Candace, was able to see her play in person for the first time. Courtney Vandersloot, also have her jersey, as well as Diggins Smith, the GOAT. I need to get a BG jersey. And Quigley. Quigley was great, hit big shots. Jumper was fantastic. And to be able to see the footwork and what kind of goes into it, it was cool. And I'm thankful we were able to stay and, and support our women and look forward to seeing how the series turns out. But it is now 1-1 um, with Game 3 going back to Chicago. So stay tuned for that and be able to follow that uh, for those out there that, you know, just enjoy a great game of basketball you know, in the purest form. You know, you got some of the best skilled women in the world playing, competing. So just wanted to mention that. As we progress into our last preseason game, we have practice today, obviously, kind of tightened some things up. Didn't play particularly well against the Suns, uh, so we kind of went back to the film, kind of figuring out you know, how we can improve defensively from a rotation standpoint. Everything is new, so for us, it's just more about not reverting back to old ways and continue to focus on the new schemes and, and things that we have in place. And I think today's practice was a step in the right direction for us. And uh, looking forward to wrapping up our last preseason game before the real ones start. From a routine standpoint, I think the, the only major difference is, is, you know, understanding that you have to play at night now. I think a lot of times, you know, you get used to working out, you know, mornings, afternoons, occasionally at night. Training camp starts and you start practices, which are normally 10, 11 or 12 p.m. And then when the season starts, you play games at 7 p.m. So your body has to kind of adjust. So figuring out what times you want to take naps, when you're going to nap, uh, what that looks like. Do you walk the dog? What time are you eating in between? you know, shoot around, you know, pre-nap, treatment, game. So th that's kind of what I've just kind of worked on, my sleep routine and figuring out how I want to go about that. I've been tracking my sleep at night and um, just kind of figuring out what times I should be going to sleep, what times I should be getting up and how I feel um, each day. And I think I'm in, a, I'm in a good spot now, having tracked it for about 21, 22 days now to where I feel really good about um, my sleep cycle, I feel really good about when I'm taking naps and, and how I'm kind of recovering. And I think the other, the last part of it is the recovery, you know, being able to get treatment, you know, massage, Normatec, ice, uh, constantly, you know, kind of working to make sure the body is great with, you know, two-a-days coming um, and going. And then you got back-to-backs, 
I think we start the season with 10 games in 14 days. So it's going to be very, very difficult, full of a lot of travel. So this first trip for us getting on the plane was a good test for our bodies and our minds to kind of refocus and, and just get back into something that's just not normal. Chauncey has been great um, as a first-year coach, being able to, to kind of understand what it's like having played. I think he knows when it's time for us to rest, when it's time for us to work, and how we kind of retain information has been very, very crucial not just to film, but the kind of walking through certain spots on the court, putting X's on the floor, doing some of those little things to kind of specifically show us how we should do things, where we should do them at, and what's expected of us. And I think from a system standpoint, the guys are adjusting and, you know, obviously we're, we're still a work in progress like the rest of the NBA, but come Wednesday, I look forward to seeing what, we've been able, what we'll be able to put together uh, coming off of a long, long training camp. Turning the page, turning the page, turning the page. There's obviously a lot of talk, you know, going on around the NBA um, with the Ben Simmons situation, with the Kyrie situation, uh, with training camp. Um, and then look at the NFL. They have a lot of stuff going on as well. But I want to briefly touch on the Ben Simmons situation uh, before we go to break and kind of discuss the timeline and what's happened. For those of you that aren't familiar, Ben Simmons has showed up and he has arrived um, to Philadelphia. But walking through the timelines, it all started June 20th. Game seven, there was a situation in which you know, things didn't go particularly well for them. They ended up losing um, at home. And there was some controversial plays in terms of being, you know, turning down a layup. And then in the post-game press conference, there's some things said by Embiid and Rivers. And it took 10 days. And... By June 30th, Woj reported that the Sixers wanted to trade Simmons before a training camp. And you fast forward a few months, there was a meeting August 31st where Ben told the Sixers he wanted out. And then training camp was about to start. And on September 25th, Simmons canceled the Sixers teammate meeting in L.A. And, you know, four days later with camp starting, an insider reported that Ben would sit out all year if he has to and that he was just ready to go. And then there's more and more back and forth with Embiid basically saying that our team was built around him and his needs. And the situation is very weird and disappointing and that it was borderline disrespectful to all the guys who are out there fighting for their lives. Fast forward a little bit more. October 1st comes and now money's involved. The Sixers withheld Simmons' salary. And by the 6th, the Simmons reportedly put Center City condo on the market and said he was ready to get out of town. So that's when things got very interesting. Uh, everyone was probably under the impression that Ben was going to be traded or moved and that he wasn't coming back. And all of a sudden, on October 11th, he worked on a return to Philadelphia and unexpectedly showed up uh, to the arena just before a tip and took a COVID test. Um, as of right now, based on what everyone is hearing, it's up in the air as to whether or not he intends to play. The Sixers report they'd like to try to convince him to stay long-term, but will actively be looking for trade partners. So, first of all, this is a very, very awkward situation. It's very weird. It's unusual. Unlike anything we've seen in a very, very long time where a guy asks for a trade, says he's not coming, fines are involved, and then he randomly shows up. So I think they have you know an interesting dynamic there. But then I also think looking at the team around him, looking at the players. Um, I think he decided to come back, obviously, because of the, the financial situation. A lot of money was at stake, and he was going to lose a lot of money. Um, 
which just doesn't make sense uh, considering his talent level, considering how smart he is as a basketball player and what he wants to accomplish long term. It didn't make sense for him to ultimately just be sitting at home giving money back uh, to the organization. So I think that's why he came back. But I think from his teammate standpoint, it's very weird. It's very awkward. There's got to be a lot of tension there because of the back and forth and how there's always just sources speaking and then the organization has to release a statement and there's more sources. So I think first and foremost, they'll just have to sit down and have that conversation with him and just kind of figure out what they want to accomplish this year together as a team. And I think it'll be important that they're all on the same page. Obviously what's done is done. What's happened has happened, but as Embiid said, they're a better team with him and Ben gives Embiid his best chance at winning a championship, which is ultimately what he wants to accomplish. So I think it's just like the working world. Like you don't have to love everyone you work with. You don't have to get along with everyone in the office. You just need to be able to get along well enough to get the job done. I think the Sixers have enough mature people, uh, not only within the organization, but on the team that will understand what needs to be done. And as Danny Green, Danny Green said, if you're hooping and you're doing what you're supposed to do, making shots, making plays, not only will the fans support you, but the players will support you and back you because they understand you give them their best chance at winning. So I think they're in a situation where it will be awkward. It will be must-see TV uh, if you're a fan of basketball or just a fan of you know things that could potentially go wrong or go right. You will be interested in, in tuning in and watching. But I think ultimately he's such a, a talented player who understands how to manipulate the game on, on both ends, offensively and defensively defensively, having been a runner-up for defensive player of the year. I think he automatically makes them a better team. Um, he'll, he'll be a, a seamless fit in, in how they play because he's been there for a long time, so it's not like he has to really adjust. I just think off the, off the floor, there'll be some adjusting that, that needs to happen. But ultimately, I think they'll be just fine. I think they'll continue to, as they said before, have discussions about um, having him long-term, but also looking for a trade partner um, because that's what both parties have expressed uh, that they want to see happen. In terms of the fans, as a guy who's a fan of many teams, I think the fans are probably going to give mixed um, <laughs> terms of endearment, mixed forms of expression early on. But ultimately, they just want to see their team win. And, and if they're winning games and he's playing well, I think there'll be lots of cheers. If they're losing games and he's not playing well, I think there'll be lots of boos because that's kind of how they've handled situations in the past. And that's kind of how I imagine they'll handle things in the, in the future going forward. But I think all in all, uh, I think the Sixers are probably happy he's back. I think that um, Ben is happy he's back, you know, not just because he gets to play basketball again, but financially he's not being penalized as much. And I think that the Sixers fans ultimately uh, will be happy as long as they are winning. But we have so much more to talk about. So make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us with a five-star review and share the show with a friend. And tell that friend to tell a friend. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pull Up Pod for fresh content all season long. The Brooklyn Nets situation with Kyrie Irving. The Nets have stated that Kyrie won't play or practice until he's fully vaccinated. As we all know, this is not an NBA decision. Um, the New York I want to say law that's in place basically kind of specifies uh, that you must be vaccinated uh, to perform in arenas. I think that the same can, the same can be said for I think it's the same is said for entertainers um, as well. But basically, it's a it's a mandate that's in place right now for New York as well as San Francisco 
and Los Angeles has has now implemented the same ruling that basically wouldn't allow any player um, who lives in those places to play home games. They'd be able to play road games, but they wouldn't be able to play home games. So um, the Nets basically said that they don't want any part-time players and that until he's able to fully participate with the team, that he would not be welcomed um, as a part-time uh, employee per se. And I think... Sean Marks handled this well. I think he's, he stated that Kyrie has made a personal choice that restricts his ability to be a full-time member of the team. We will not permit any member of our team to participate with part-time availability. And I think looking at this situation, Sean Marks had to make a decision. Obviously, this has become a distraction. It is a personal choice for Kyrie, but it's a personal choice that's affecting um, the entire team in a sense of their quest for winning a championship, but also the players, staff, organization having to answer questions about this situation on a day-to-day basis. I think it's something that's unfortunate, but it's it's uh, the situation that they're in now um, due to a personal decision uh, on one of their players to not be vaccinated. I think looking at KD, looking at James, um, I think it's probably very frustrating, not only because they went to Brooklyn to play together to win a championship, but also because they understand what's at stake uh, with the season approaching, uh, with them having not had a full training camp together, with them potentially having to miss games um, um, together as a trio. I think this becomes more difficult by the day, considering how well-balanced the other teams are in the NBA, but also the other part is this is a friend uh, of theirs who's not around the team, who's kind of becoming more isolated because he can't be at practice. He can't work out with the guys. He can't play in the games. He can't travel. So this is a situation where not only are you worried about the business side of things uh, at your day-to-day job, but you're worried about an actual friend. And I think that's the situation that's probably tough for them. And then having to answer questions about this over and over again on top of that makes this a very, very interesting yet difficult decision. But looking at the Nets as a, as a team, um, Are they a championship team with Kyrie? Absolutely. Could they possibly win a championship without him? Yes, anything is possible. But I think their chances of winning a championship decrease significantly um, because this team was built around having three stars. You know, based on the amount of money those guys are taking on the cap, um, they were only able to surround themselves with with certain types of role players who have certain types of capabilities and skill sets. And I think um, without him, the chances of beating the likes of the Bulls, the likes of the Bucks, the likes of the Miami Heat, those types of teams, they have real star power and they have three very, very good players who can swing a series in a moment's notice. So I think looking at that type of situation, it'll be very tough for them to win and health will depend upon that. And I think historically, um, Brooklyn hasn't been healthy. Historically, you know, Kai was hurt last season. James was playing hurt in the playoffs last year. Uh, as all teams are, an injury away from, you know, having a, a very, very tough season. You know, without Kyrie, you know, with, with those two guys, you have a chance at, at winning games every night. But it just becomes more difficult. There's more pressure, more workload, more stress on not only their bodies, but also mentally because of what they're having to deal with. And I think, you know, a lot of people talk about it you know, being vaccinated as a personal decision. It is a personal decision, but it's a personal decision that affects this world, considering the fact that over 700,000 people have died from COVID, considering the fact that we know um, the vaccine decreases your chances of, of, of not only 
attaining the virus, but also spreading the virus. So I think with all those things in my understanding that we play a game for a living, we travel city to city, state to state, stay in hotels, you know, have to eat room service or go out to eat. We're exposed on a day-to-day basis and we're also exposing our teammates. We're exposing our teams we play against. We're exposing our families when we go home. And although we may be fine, you know, in contracting COVID, there's some people in our families who have immunization problems or issues in terms of, you know, what could happen in the event that they're exposed to the virus. And I think that with all those things in mind, I think the right decision for him, you know, especially since he talked about not wanting to to lose the game he loves, not wanting to lose the game of basketball, not wanting to um, give all of this up over a vaccine that he's not against. I think it makes sense, you know, to figure out what he wants to accomplish from this whole situation, but also, you know, how he can kind of protect himself, his family, his organization, his team, Uh, going forward, I think it makes sense to get vaccinated. But now it's time for the season preview full of predictions. The first question I want to pose is which team will make the biggest jump from last year to this year? And I think the answer is easy. I think the Chicago Bulls have done a terrific job of building out their roster. Obviously, they signed Lonzo. They bring over DeMar. They still have Levine. They have the big fella Vucevic. Uh, they have Alex Caruso. They have all these players. They got my guy D. Jones. They have all these players who are proven commodities in the NBA who have unique skill sets that translate to not only regular season, but playoffs. And I think they're hungry. And they're also in the Eastern Conference. Uh, that's extremely competitive, but also understand that there's the top, you know, there's the Milwaukee Bucks, there's the Brooklyn Nets, but now the Bulls are kind of in that mix, you know, along with the Miami Heat as a team who could come out of the East. So I think they've definitely gotten better. And the other team that I just mentioned, the Miami Heat, you know, you add a Kyle Lowry to your team, you know, a guy with championship pedigree who pushes tempo, who takes charges. He does all the little things. He's able to hit big shots. He just makes that team go. And I think, you know, with Jimmy Butler on that team, with Bam, you pick up P.J. Tucker, you have Hero, you have all of these pieces, you have these guys who know how to play the game, you're well coached, a good organization that's known for a lot of things. I think those two teams have positioned themselves very well to have success, not only in the near term, but also in the long term, uh, based on uh, the roster acquisitions that they've been able to make. I think the offseason acquisition that will make the biggest impact on their new team is going to be Kyle Lowry. I think Kimba in New York is great. I think he's going to be terrific for them. Uh, Him being at home will be beneficial. I think Russ in LA will be great for them, for the fan base to be able to have a a Hall of Fame level point guard, get out and run, start the break, make things look look good. But I think Kyle Lowry is what the Heat were missing and what the Heat kind of wanted. You know, they, they targeted him all season. A guy who would just do the little things, hit big shots, but also Uh, be well-respected by not only his teammates and peers, but other teams as well. The rookie I'm most looking forward to seeing is probably Evan Mobley. I haven't seen some clips of him. He's long, he's athletic, he's skilled, he can shoot, he's blocking shots, he's getting assists. He's kind of showing a a great level of talent and understanding of basketball that I don't think I knew he had. And he's also playing with the Gavs, which is, you know, my hometown um, team, so to speak. So I, I... Pay, pay close attention to them and hear about them very often from my family. And I'm also looking forward to seeing Kay Cuttingham, um, the guy who was picked number one overall. He's poised. He's also with Excel, you know, my agency. But I think he's just poised for a, a good, solid year. He's tall. He can get into the lane, makes the right plays. And I think he's going to be a, a, a really good NBA player for a very, very long time. 
teams I love to tune into on League Pass and on a regular basis. I'm going to start with the Memphis Grizzlies. Love watching them play. They play a fast-paced game. John Moran, obviously, you know, has looked great in the preseason, but has continued to figure out ways to get better. He's a mid-major player who's explosive. Um, he's must-see TV. I think LaMelo is also fun to watch. I like watching Charlotte. They got uh, Terry. They got some high flyers um, in their front court. And obviously, Gordon Hayward, they got a lot of different players who play a fun style of basketball where it's enjoyable to watch. They shoot a lot of threes. They play some ISO. And it's just really fun to watch. I think the Phoenix Suns are another team. I like watching CP. I like watching Book. Aiton Bridges is another Excel guy who I like watching play. And they're just extremely well coached. They move the ball. They get out and run. They make the game fun. Uh, so I, I definitely enjoy watching them. The Toronto Raptors, another team I've been keeping my eye on. Fred Van Fleet is with Lee Ning. Scoring point guard, small school. Uh, love the chip he has on his shoulder. And they also got Gary Trent Jr., my guy who just got a bag. So I'm always interested in seeing how players play um, and, and when they get situations to kind of be themselves and have more opportunities. So happy for G. Looking forward to watching him. I'll obviously watch the Warriors a lot because they play so fast. Um, uh, being able to see, you know, the movement without the ball that Steph kind of does is, is is definitely something that you look forward to seeing. I watch the Brooklyn Nets uh, a lot with James, some of those ISO situations he'll have, seeing how efficient uh, KD uh, will be. And then the Lakers, uh, Melo's there, Bays is there, Trevor Rees is there, a lot of my old teammates are there. Uh, my guy, John Yim, is on staff as well. So I'll be watching them. Obviously, they got Bron, they got AD, uh, they got Rondo, they got Russ, they have all these players. So just interested in seeing you know, how everything kind of turns out for them. In terms of a guy that I would want to see in the dunk contest for the first time, that's tough. Uh, Zion's battling an injury, but I would definitely say Zion is on the list um, as a guy who I haven't seen in the dunk contest. And then we have a rookie, Greg Brown, who's extremely athletic, very, very athletic, explosive, who I wouldn't mind seeing um, in a dunk contest as well. So, those are some of the things I'm really, really looking forward to seeing this season. Some of the teams who I think will have, you know, big jumps uh, from last year to this year, you know, specifically the Heat who were swept in the first round. I don't foresee that happening this year based on the changes they made. And I think the Bulls are going to be real problems um, in the Eastern Conference for a lot of teams. And now for one of my favorite segments of the Pull Up Pod, Pull Up or Dish? Dwayne Wade's son, Zaire Wade, signs with the Utah Jazz G League team. I'm a big, big Wade fan, first and foremost, big Gabrielle Union fan. And I know Zaire, I know how hard he works and what he's, you know, kind of looked forward to his whole life. So I'm happy for him and excited for this, you know, next chapter in his life, him being able to continue to pursue his dreams of becoming a professional basketball player by starting with the G League. And a little bit about his, his background. Uh, he transferred to Brewster Academy in April of 2020 after playing at Sierra Canyon, the famous, famous high school that's pumped out a lot of NBA players, most notably, most recently, LeBron James Jr., among many others, Kenya Martin Jr., the list goes on and on and on. He reclassified to the class of 21, but a torn ligament in his ankle ended his season, and he had college offers from DePaul, South Carolina, Nebraska, Rhode Island, and Toledo. Obviously, many people are aware that Dwayne Wade is part owner of the Utah Jazz, uh, a mega, mega legend, Hall of Famer. Um, the list goes on about great things he's done for, for the game of basketball, but more about his son. 
Yeah, I had offers from mid-major programs, decided to go the G League route. I'm not mad at him. I think it's a good decision for him because obviously his family has kind of weighed the pros and cons and understand the way the business of basketball works and feel like that's what's best for him. But I think for many kids in general, I think college is necessary. And I think college is very helpful from the educational aspect of it, having gone to Lehigh for, for four years and been a mid-major like caliber player. I understand the importance of it for a lot of other kids out there that may be mid-major players that there's nothing wrong with going to a small school. There's nothing wrong with developing while you're in school. You may not be an NBA player on the way in, but you can become one on the way out, which is extremely, extremely important. And it also allows you um, the opportunity to, to attain a degree, which is extremely important from an educational standpoint. So just want to continue to urge people to understand that college isn't for everyone. I don't push it on everyone, but I think some kids do need college. Some kids need the development, the maturity, and all the things that come with college and the responsibility of, of slowly transitioning into an adult. And some kids don't need it and are ready to become professionals and, and kind of you know govern themselves in, in a way that's appropriate. So I'm pulling up on him going to the G League. I'm happy about it. Uh, for him, I think it's it's a great opportunity for him to kind of expand his game. But I do think that some players should be going to college. They should be experiencing, you know, what comes with that, learning how to play the game, uh, learning how to balance schoolwork with working out and all that's kind of um, coming with that. So I think that's a great situation for the Wades. I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops and looking forward to seeing, you know, what comes of this decision that he's made because there are a lot of blue chips, a lot of mid-major guys, a lot of borderline European guys and things of that nature who are always on the fence about do they go to college? Do they go right to Europe? Do they do the G League? And uh, this is another situation where we have a high-profile name, a high-profile kid who's making a decision he feels is best for him. Get the dub, take the L. The dub of the week for sure is Pau Gasol retiring from the NBA. He was drafted third overall in 2001. Powell won two NBA titles with the Lakers, a world championship gold, and three European titles. He averaged 17 points, nine rebounds in 1,226 regular season games, and he spent the last year playing in Spain for Barcelona. I had the pleasure of working alongside Powell, not only on the executive committee, but also as a teammate. He was assigned to the Portland Trailblazers for a year. He was obviously hurt and didn't play that season, but the way he approached the game, his professionalism, how he's carried himself, um, his wife and my wife are still friends to this day. I have a, a great uh, admiration, appreciation, and amount of respect uh, for him, his journey, what he's been able to accomplish, and how he's handled himself. And I think, you know, it's only right that um, he goes into the hall, not only in Europe, but also here. Uh, I think all time in terms of foreign big men, outside of Dirk Nowinski, I don't know if there's a better big man to play this game um, than Powell, based on what he's been able to accomplish, based on you know his impact on sport, and obviously you know winning multiple championships. He's super laid back, super mature, obviously speaks a lot of different languages, but his professionalism and work ethic is what really stood out to me. And he's genuinely one of the most kind human beings that I've ever met. So I'm thankful to know him, thankful to continue to know him and happy to see um, him retiring, you know, as an elite, elite player with an elite career, with an elite personality. The L of the week is the Pelicans. It's tough, obviously. Um, execs, and their exec, David Griffin, said during media day, uh, Zion will be ready in time for the regular season, and the latest update isn't promising. Pelicans head coach Willie Green confirmed that Zion has not yet started running, and they are waiting for him to get some scans in the next couple of days to determine the current status of his foot recovery and that he'll be re-evaluated in two weeks. That's a very, very tough situation for their franchise player. 
a guy who's proven he can carry the workload. He's obviously explosive. He's must-see TV. He's a potential all-star, can finish around the basket, brings fans into a gym, and is a walk-in 26-10 and 10 whenever he comes back. I think he's going to be out for a while. You have to take it slow, obviously, uh, with a foot injury, especially a foot injury on your star player who's you know gone through some lower extremity injuries throughout his career and is an explosive, explosive athlete who also weighs a lot and has literally ripped out of his shoes before uh, due to his explosiveness. I think this definitely hurts the, the Pelicans, obviously, and it hurts their chances of making the playoffs because he's a key fixture and key component of their team. And I think it's not a big deal. It's not something to like overly saturate ourselves with but you know the fact that Zion has been hurt is not great for their team and it's not great for probably his mentality but based on the doctors based on research and the information we have he should be just fine uh moving forward and and we'll be able to recover obviously make a full recovery and get back to doing what he's been doing his whole career players have recovered from less and from worse um and I think he's in a position where he'll be just fine um, so that is our L of the week. Once again, I want to thank all our beautiful listeners for tuning in faithfully to the Pull Up Pod. Um, I, I truly, truly appreciate it. And before I go, I'm going to cue the wine music, but give you guys a little update on what I've been doing. I've actually been fasting, as they call it, not fasting, but on a cleanse to where I didn't drink any wine for 24 or 25 um, straight days. Basically, I was getting ready for the season. Uh, I was going through this this sleep protocol that I normally go through where I try to, you know, basically go to sleep at the same time, wake up around the same time and allow my body to adjust to all that comes with um, the season in terms of travel, in terms of back-to-backs, in terms of all those things. And I took about 23 days. It helps that my wife is pregnant, so I'm not um, in a position to to be around wine uh, very often at all at this point. I'm able to just drink lots of water, smoothies and things of that nature. Um, But the wine of the week that I actually had on the plane with some of the teammates to break the little fast, uh, if you will, the cleanse that I had was a a farmhouse cuvee from Granville, actually. Uh, Big fan of of Granville, it's in the Dundee Hills. Uh, It was more light than bold, more smooth than tannic, more dry than sweet. Pinot with hints of red, pomegranate, cherry, a little earthy. Um, pairs well with a lot of different things. I actually had it with uh, my plain meal, which was a, a steak sandwich that Chef Joy made. Shout out to Chef Joy. But it was very, very good. It's among the uh, top 3% of wines in the world, top 4% in Dundee. And I'm a big, big fan of them. You can obviously have it with beef, with poultry, with with popcorn chips, whatever is your, your vice. But... Um, I definitely recommend you checking Granville out. Very, very good wine. Very, very good people with a nice view of the valley. And with that said, appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, Continue to subscribe. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. Hit us with five-star reviews and share the show with a friend and tell that friend to tell a friend. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pull Up Pod for fresh content all season long. With that being said, don't forget to pull up.